morning. Today's reading is from the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. So James, chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Hi, everyone. I want to pray just one more time before we look at this together. Lord God, we're talking about a big subject today, the subject of wisdom, and who am I to talk about that? But we pray that your voice would be heard and that we take away the message that you want us to take away in our hearts. Amen. Well, here's a parable that Jesus taught. He said a, a farmer had a bumper crop one year, and it was going to yield a huge profit. And he thought to himself, hmm, what shall I do? I've got nowhere to store this bumper harvest. I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and I'll say to myself, oh, you're set for years. Eat, drink, be merry, <laughs> take it easy. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, I'm not going to be talking about money or wealth this morning. I'm going to be talking about wisdom. And God called that farmer a fool. But on the face of it, the decisions he made actually seem okay. I, you know, if uh, we knew this person, we'd probably think he was pretty shrewd. He had a bumper crop, so he was going to build a bigger barn. Seems sensible. The crop would yield a big profit. So he's going to slow down and enjoy some relaxation. Seems sensible. If he died, his children or family or friends would benefit. So, well, what else can you do? I mean, that's just life, isn't it? Seems sensible. So he probably thought he was pretty wise, and maybe we would agree. But the message, the big message of our reading today was that he was deceiving himself, and God's assessment of him was true. He was a fool. And we're all capable of doing the same, having this kind of wisdom. I'm glad Jenny drew that to our attention. James says, wisdom having this kind of wisdom which we're quite proud of in a modest sort of way, and yet God would say to us, you're a fool. Now, it's not very comfortable being called a fool. I don't want to stand here at the front and uh, point the finger at you. I'm pointing at myself. Um, it's quite offensive, isn't it? I think all of us in the room would be happy to say that we're not the wisest person who ever lived, but neither are we fools. We're just like moderately wise, okay? And of course, God recognizes that in a room like this, there's a whole spectrum of experience from uh, those of us with relatively little of it to, to much, like loads of it. 
But wisdom is slightly different to experience. And as far as God is concerned, there are only two options. Either you're wise or you're a fool. And I hope you'll see, see why that is a bit later on. And as basically nobody today really would say, I'm a fool, that means an awful lot of us are deceiving ourselves. Hence the title of this sermon, Wisdom and Self-Deception. So let's turn to our reading now. And I want to draw out the comparison it makes between true and false wisdom, which I'll try to group into three points so it's easier to remember, but I'll bring out as many aspects as I can from the reading today. So here's the first point. True wisdom is about a lifestyle. It starts off, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And I take it this is talking particularly to people who think of wisdom as like uh, smart thoughts and clever decisions. That's wisdom. And particularly when they think that about themselves. I am wise because I have smart thoughts and I make clever decisions. It's the sort of person who loves to be consulted about things. Maybe you know someone like this. I'm sure when they make TV shows, they, when they're choosing the contestants at the start, before the TV show is aired, they are picking the contestants and then they think, okay, now we need an arrogant one, okay? Because um, nobody will want this person to win because they're arrogant, but they might come close because they're probably quite good. That's why they're arrogant, okay? So create good TV, a bit of drama. And we all recognize... Uh, you know, it, when it's on TV, we see this person, we think that's so annoying. But of course, the TV is showing us the clips it wants to show us. Perhaps they've said lots of humble things as well, but they've said a few things that make it sound like they think they're the best person in the world. Those are the clips we see. So it's obvious on TV, but when it's off screen, we, you know, let's point the finger at ourselves. We all know how to give a bit of advice to someone else, don't we? And still seem quite humble in the process. We're all a bit guilty of this at times some more than others. We all like to think that we have smart thoughts and make clever decisions, so we're wise. Now, I imagine this, the farmer in Jesus' parable would have loved to have been consulted about business. Even before he had this bumper crop, he'd be saying to his friends, you know, if I ever have a bumper crop, I'm going to build a big barn, and I'm going to take it easy for a few years, and people are thinking, yeah, that's good advice. Um, but uh, God is, God's challenge to that sort of person from our reading is if you are that wise, if you're as wise as you think you are, show it by your good life. And then he elaborates on what he means by good life. Deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Deeds done. First of all, deeds done. So if you're wise, you can trust that people will see that in your lifestyle without you having to open your mouth. The temptation is to show how wise we are by, by talking a lot, right? And actually, as we all know, we end up doing the opposite. How many times have I wished I'd followed that advice? Better to keep your mouth closed and be thoughtful than to open your mouth and confirm it. First deeds, not words. And second, deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And humility comes from knowing who God is and who we are. So the Bible says a lot about wisdom, but one of the most famous things it says is in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, what is that? Well, this, this fear is the sort of feeling you might experience when you're standing at the foot of a huge rock face, stretching up hundreds of meters, you know the ones, you see them in pictures. There is an element of fear because 
you're small and you're vulnerable compared with this rock face. And if a rock fell from the top, it will kill you. You're, it, is, it is fear. But it's also an overwhelming awe and admiration for the scale of it, towering into the sky. And also, strangely enough, there's something that can only really be described as happiness. The sort of thrill that you're experiencing it in person and not just watching it on TV or seeing a picture. That's happiness, isn't it? So isn't that weird how fear and awe and happiness can all come together? Well, if that's how you feel about God, that's the fear of the Lord, and that is the beginning of wisdom. Because you see your place in the universe. You see how, we all see how vulnerable we are, how small we are compared with God. And we see how great God is. He is the universe's creator. He's like that towering rock face. Absolutely awesome. So that's a humbling beginning to wisdom. And if you haven't started there, then the Bible says you don't have wisdom. And if you have started there and, and you do have wisdom, then there's no way any of us can be proud about that because you know, nobody's proud standing at the foot of an enormous rock face, are they? It's very humbling. So, summarize this first point. Wisdom is a lifestyle of humility and the deeds or the actions that come out of that. Second point. True wisdom puts others first. This is a bit more about those deeds or actions I was talking about. I haven't really described what those are yet, but true wisdom puts others first. Going back to our farmer from Jesus' parable, his deeds were, build a bigger barn to store my wealth. Boast about it a bit, at least to myself, if not to anyone else, probably to others. And then take it easy and, you know, take the foot off the accelerator for a bit. All of those actions obviously benefit himself. He's obviously seen others living comfortable lives, and he's thought, you know, I'd like some of that. If I ever get a bumper crop, I'm going to live that comfortably for a while. So he's envied others', others success, perhaps. He's finally got a bit of cash, so he spends it on himself. You can imagine Jesus saying something like, um, hmm, don't you want to give a little bit of that away to somebody who is in need? You've just got this huge wealth piled up in a barn, and there's someone out here with no food. What do, you, what do you want to do about that? But he's got his own selfish ambitions, and he's proud of it. Now, hopefully, I've, now that I've drawn that illustration from Jesus' parable, as I read verse 14, it will make sense. I'll read from the beginning to keep the flow. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, deny the truth that you're actually deceiving yourself about how wise you are. Such wisdom, as Jenny so rightly pointed out, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What does it mean by that? Just the opposite of God and ultimately destructive and self-destructive. So there is a kind of wisdom which is characterized by envy and selfish ambition. In other words, a wisdom that says, look after number one, whatever you do, look after number one. And what should we do about this? Well, we need to prayerfully ask ourselves, is that me? Because by definition, self-deception makes us think that it isn't us. 
But God has a way of placing that mirror in front of us that we look into and we're like, oh yeah, man, that is actually me. I do live for number one. I do have that kind of wisdom. But it's filled with envy about what others are doing, what they have, and has selfish ambition. And that's a painful experience, but it's very good for us to see in that mirror because then the self-deception falls away, right? Verse 16 talks a bit about how destructive this selfish kind of wisdom can be. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So disorder, first of all, it might actually look quite ordered to us, um, like a, you know, this person who's envious and has selfish ambition might be running a very successful organization. They might be a dictator of a huge country. It might look very ordered, but it lacks order by God's definition. We don't really have time to look at God's definition, but I want to point you to Genesis 1 and 2 to see God's definition of order. And it includes things like meaning. It includes purpose. It includes life-giving qualities. It includes the quality of moral or ethical goodness. So if you look at a dictatorship, it, is, it might be extremely ordered. You watch those soldiers and tanks going down the road in um, a procession. It looks very impressive, but it lacks the quality of moral or ethical goodness. It lacks life-giving qualities. It might even lack meaning and purpose by God's definition. It is disordered. So disorder. And secondly, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you have every evil practice. Now, maybe not all in one individual, but envy and selfish ambition are at the root of far more than just one kind of evil. If everyone puts themselves first at a low level, that could lead to a bit of greed, maybe a bit of gossip. More seriously, it could lead to someone having an affair, looking after number one. At a high level, it creates a dictator who's willing to murder millions of people. Those people exist, and they're alive today. How did they get there? Envy and selfish ambition leads to all kinds of evil. So let's see how different true wisdom is to that by looking very quickly at this list of qualities of true wisdom in verse 17. I want you to notice, I mean, we could spend a whole sermon just looking at this list. I only really want you to notice one thing, and that is how selfless they all are. True wisdom puts others first. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Now, that means uncontaminated by evil deeds. But if we were to put that positively, um, pure what? From what Jesus says, it could only be like pure love for God and pure love for others, for your neighbor. So pure, then peace-loving. That's about relationships with others, obviously, and requires patience and gentleness with others. Peace-loving, considerate, non-judgmental and caring, clearly a selfless quality. Submissive. That's an interesting one. It means being open to reason. So you're not quick to defend your opinions, like, here we go, pointing the finger right at myself again. How quick have I, if someone's challenged me on something, how quick am I to just fire off a quick defense? Like, no, I'm right, and this is why. I've thought about this. Don't you tell me that I haven't. <laughs> but being open to reason and not quick to defend ourselves, that's true wisdom. And again, that's clearly quite selfless, thinking of others quite highly, thinking of ourselves less. It doesn't mean being a pushover, or James wouldn't have written this letter. We've looked at it for the last few weeks, and a pushover does not write a letter like this one. Full of mercy. Forgiveness is selfless almost by definition. And to be full of mercy, you're full of it, means you're forgiving over and over and over again. And presumably, at great loss to yourself 
and at great pain to yourself for the sake of the other person. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything to forgive. Unless someone's hurt you, unless they've caused you pain, you don't need to forgive them. So if you're forgiving them, you're doing that at cost to yourself. That's selfless. Good fruit, good actions. That goes back to that original thought. Impartial, no favoritism. Would you be as full of mercy and considerate to someone you didn't like as you would to your best friend? Again, you have to be very selfless to do that. And finally, sincere. That adds a level of depth to all the other qualities. That means you can't just pretend to forgive or do a token good deed here and there. If you are wise, all of these qualities will absolutely saturate your life. And you won't, help but, you won't be able to help but put others first. Let me just read that list one more time without interrupting myself. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Isn't all that very different to our usual understanding of wisdom? I think we're much more inclined to think of wisdom as smart thoughts and clever decisions than we are to think of all those things. So, so far we've had true wisdom as a lifestyle, true wisdom puts others first, and finally, true wisdom is a gift from God. You can't discover it through experience or thought or even teaching. A couple of times in our reading, James calls true wisdom from above, wisdom from above, wisdom from heaven, which is why God can be so black and white about whether someone is wise or whether they're a fool, because he's the one who decides, and if he's given the gift of wisdom, they have it, and if he hasn't, they don't. And that seems harsh until we remember that earlier in this letter that we've been going through, it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So those of you who have God's gift of wisdom are not the privileged elite who uh, have something no one else can have. Every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, can have God's wisdom if we just ask God for it. He is generous and willing to give it. Now, I imagine every one of us in this room wants to be wise, so we need to pray to God for wisdom. And in circumstances where we particularly need it, where we have to make a decision, where we have to relate to somebody else, maybe the first thing we need to do is fire up a quick prayer to God, Lord God, please give me wisdom in this circumstance. And he will give it to us. So true wisdom is a lifestyle. True wisdom puts others first. And true wisdom is a gift from God. Let me finish on this final point, building on the idea that true wisdom is a gift from God. The cross of Christ is the greatest demonstration of wisdom the world has ever known. That seems like a strange sentence. And if that's puzzling to you, that's the point. Wisdom is not what we naturally think it is. And that's why we can't discover it or learn it. That's why it comes from the fear of the Lord. And that's why it leads to a humble, selfless life. Uh, that's so counterintuitive. Wisdom goes beyond this universe and ultimately leads to a kind of peace and rest which is found in, in nothing less than worship. So, let me finish. In an attitude of humble worship, let's hear these words from 1 Corinthians which talk about the wisdom of God and how counterintuitive it is to us. The message of the cross 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, cre- we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let me pray. Lord God, we confess to have experienced this uh, false wisdom in ourselves, perhaps been proud of it. We confess that and we pray now that you would give us true wisdom. And we pray that that would lead to worship as we see that the, uh, the foolishness of you, as, as this text put it, puts it, is wiser than our greatest wisdom. And your weakness is more powerful than any human strength. Amen. <clears throat>